This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am beyond excited to welcome Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor to the show. Dr. Jill is a Harvard-educated and published neuroanatomist. You may know her from her viral TED Talk in 2008 called My Stroke of Insight. Viewed over 30 million times and spending 63 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, Dr. Jill is now releasing her book entitled Whole Brain Living, and she is here to teach us how to apply those principles to motherhood. In this episode, you will learn the difference between your right and left brain, four different characters of the brain as taught in her new book, and how to apply these characters to better regulate your emotions in motherhood. This feels like one of the most empowering interviews I've ever done. Teaching you about your biology and anatomy so that you can be more successful in managing mommy rage and other distressing emotions in motherhood. I promise you will not want to miss this episode and I encourage you that if you take something valuable away from this today, send it to a friend, share it with mommy groups because it can be life-changing for them as well. Now let's dive in to my conversation with Dr. Jill. You've heard it all before. It takes a village, and I'm sure you've wondered to yourself, is this village going to show up or what? Motherhood can feel lonely. All the people you thought would be there to support you are nowhere to be found. It's a theme that comes up in therapy sessions, DMs, emails, and even our workshop reviews. Moms want to connect with other moms, but they don't know how. This got us thinking, what if we created the village? What if we created a space for moms to come together? And so we did. We listened to your feedback and we created a community specifically for moms called Mom Freely Together. Our mission for this community was to create a space for moms to grow with one another freely without judgment. It's a place where you can come and feel validated, supported, entertained, and educated. We want it to be equal parts, helpful, and also fun. Let's get to the nitty gritty. What does this all mean? What would a community like this look like? Here are the details. The community will be hosted on Facebook as a private membership for moms. There will be two live events each month, including Get Together, which is our social event. This is where we will meet virtually and get to know one another, play games, and have a girls' night, so to speak. And next is Grow Together, which will allow you to get all your questions answered. During this Q&A-style gathering, Dr. Asherina Reem and I will answer your questions in order to empower you to grow. And there are also some really exciting bonuses that we're keeping in our back pocket for the time being, but you will not be disappointed. Are you ready to mom freely together? Head to happyasamother.co slash momfreely to learn more. That's happyasamother.co slash momfreely. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, 
and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. I had seen your TED Talk. I believe it's called A Stroke of Insight. Is that right? My Stroke of Insight, yes. yes. I had seen it, oh my goodness, years ago now. And I rewatched it uh, in preparation for this interview. It's at about 30 million views now. And I can imagine how, as an already seasoned and trained professional in your area, how that must have added this whole new world and audience for you. But even to rewatch it years later, fascinating. I can't wait to dive into just various topics of the brain with you today. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Erica. I'm excited. You have an interesting audience for me, so I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we have a mom audience. And as a motherhood nerd myself, all things motherhood, whether it be brain, mental health, you know, all the different pieces, even the sociological and economic pieces of motherhood, I love to come at it from all perspectives to just help equip our audience to face the unique challenges that comes with this entrance into motherhood, which my podcasters know for myself was quite a clunky entrance. Three kids, three and under, and I got thrown right into the deep end. And as a mental health professional who thought that I had a lot of these things figured out, you know, I got uh, a bit of a rude awakening to pieces of myself that needed some work or some skills that needed to be gained or, you know, parts of myself that I didn't know depths of myself I was going to go to, right? So this was such an interesting conversation today as I was listening to your TED Talk back and you were talking about the difference between the right versus the left brain. And for those who are listening who may not be familiar with your work or familiar with, you know, how the brain functions in this way, maybe we can start with some of the fundamentals, if that's okay. Sure. And let me, so thank you. And as a neuroanatomist, so I study the anatomy of the brain. There's, you know, a lot of myths out there about the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere, but from my own personal experience, I was teaching and performing research at Harvard, and then I woke up one morning and I had a major hemorrhage in the left half of my brain. And because of that, my left hemisphere ended up becoming completely non-functional over the course of four hours. So I got the up-close personal perspective of what really is going on in the left brain and what is actually going on in my right brain. And so the left hemisphere has our language. And part of our language is to be able to communicate with one another in the external world. It is also a small group of cells that says, I am, I am an individual, I am separate from you, so that it is my perception of self as ego. And then there's also a small group of cells in the parietal region of the brain that defines the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. 
So I know where what is me, what is organic flesh, and what is not me, like these glasses that I keep on my face all day. I know that these glasses are not me because a group of cells in my left brain tell me that. So the left brain is all about our ability to communicate in the external world. Mm -hmm. So the right hemisphere doesn't have the boundaries of where I begin and where I end. So I perceive myself as an energetic being that is made up of atoms and molecules in vibration with all the atoms and molecules around me. So I perceive myself to actually be as big as the universe. The right hemisphere has no language, but it organizes information in perception of relation. So I look at you and you speak to me and I hear the intonation and the inflection in your voice. I watch your body language. I look at your facial expression and overall tone of voice. I look at you as one big energetic package and say, yes, she's being honest with me. It is that part of our brain that actually can determine intuitively, if you will, what pieces of the puzzle fit together in which pieces don't. So the right mm -hmm. hemisphere is right here, right now. It's in the present moment. And it's essentially the consciousness of any infant when an infant is born into this world. They don't have any left brain. Well, they have one, but it's not developed yet. So they don't have a language. They don't have detailed information about the external world. They are just here. They're in the present moment. They're perceiving everything as a big ball of energy in relationship to the energy of themselves. They have not yet identified the boundaries of where they begin and where they end. And that we always have still in our background as we grow a left brain. And as the left brain organizes information in the external world, because of the language, because of the identification as self, as individual, then I gain that ego and I now become separate from the whole. But our little ones, they don't have that yet. Mm hmm. It makes me think about we were joking kind of off air um, coming on about how moms are can be very in the present moment because they've got their kids and they're crying. And, you know, that might trigger our own anxiety or like, you know, it's hard to not be in those moments when they feel very, you know, loud and overstimulating. And then there's this other piece of motherhood, which I feel like I deal with a lot with my clients and in this community that is very future and past oriented, which is like brings me to a piece of your talk. And for anybody who's listening, uh, if you'd like any more context, even to your experience with your stroke and how you describe the left versus right brain and sort of how it causes you to feel in your environment and space, it's really insightful. But I find that there is often a lot of anxiety and a lot of fears and worries. So like, what will happen to my baby if and intrusive thoughts and anxiety, would those pieces be rooted in that more left brain sort of? Exactly. Yeah. Any worry that we have about the past or the future, that is our left brain, our left, actually our emotional system projecting a anxiety and fear. Am I safe? And especially if I have, uh, you know, something going on in my environment, like an infant who is squealing and not content, it's that left brain that says, oh, I want this to be different 
than the way it, it is. I want my baby to be comforted and I want them to be calm and, and to be happy. And so the anxiety goes alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe because my infant, my child is not content. And we never know how long that's going to go on for, do we? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then we don't know what the cause is because you don't have the ability. An infant doesn't have the ability to say, um, I stub my toe. They don't even know what a toe is, or I'm, I'm, I've got gas. You know, they don't have language to communicate with us. So of course we move into that anxiety and that's all of our stress circuitry. So the left hemisphere is that stress circuitry of worry and anxiety, while the right hemisphere is right here, right now. Are we safe? Is everything okay? What is the experience that we're having? And uh, more of an explorative, uh, innovative, something has happened and, and now I have to make do with what I have available in order to manage the situation and it moves me into a different level of alarm, but usually that's not the stress. We find that we are very capable in the present moment, much more capable in our right brain experience of the reality than when we stop and we think about it. And it was like, my gosh, that happened. And if I'd have known that that was going to happen, I would have freaked out and I would have worried and I wouldn't know what to do. And it's like, no, we have this incredible power in the present moment. So, so we can trust that we will completely show up in order to do what needs to be done as it comes along. Hmm. It's really fascinating because I will often say to clients that anxiety is an underestimation of our ability to cope in a moment or a situation. And that's what you're describing. In these urgent moments, our right brain takes over and we show up and we do and we perform and we nurture and we care. And then it's the interpretation that that left brain gives us after the event that messes with us a little bit, hey? Or beforehand. It's like, oh my gosh, if that Mm. happened to me, I wouldn't have known what to do. And it's like, "Mm, you probably would have because that's when we move into really observing everything because we don't have the boundaries and we don't have the fear and we don't have that worry dragging us down and taking away our attention. It's no, we're super moms in the present moment. We might be Mm. fretting you know, before and after an emergency, but during, we're probably right there on it. Right. This is really fascinating. This reminds me of a, I don't know, I've seen all of these tests online. Are you left brain or are you right brain? And are you this oriented or that oriented? Are those uh, real and valid? Do we tend to be like gravitating towards one more than the other? So the way the brain is organized is we have that corpus callosum, which is a highway for information transfer between the two hemispheres. And that has around 300 million axonal fibers. So the left hemisphere knows what's going on in the comparable group of cells in the opposite hemisphere and vice versa. And generally those fibers are inhibitory. So I have language centers in my left hemisphere that allow me to create language, dog, dog is a sound, I create it, and then place meaning on that sound as dog so you can understand me. But my right hemisphere has those comparable cells in an equal position in the opposite hemisphere, but it cares about the intonation of the voice. How does that fit in with my facial language or my body language? So we have language in both, but they specialize 
in different things. And if you're listening to my words and focused on my words, you might not be paying so much attention to the inflection of my voice. But both mm -hmm. hemispheres, if imagine that each hemisphere has a thousand things going on comparable. So a thousand here with matching thousand over here, but a little bit tweaked or different. And so at any time though, one hemisphere might have 800 of those uh, dominant while the right hemisphere only has 200 until something shifts in another instant. And now all of a sudden I'm 900% in the present moment and only a hundred of those little functions in the left. So both hemispheres are dancing constantly, intercommunicating, mm. and they're both on all the time. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting that it's a constant back and forth. And and I feel like this kind of falls into our human nature to want to kind of like type things. Exactly. Categorize things. Well, it's right? fun. Like, I, more? I think it. I, some of them are actually very valid and they're very interesting because, uh, say for example, you're going to teach a child two plus two. So you're going to show for the left brain a two. A two is a symbol which represents two things. So the left brain has to learn that external symbol and what it represents. And then we tend to memorize two plus two equals four, two plus three equals five, whatever. But in the right brain, you're gonna see like two ostriches and two elephants. And now you have four animals or you have three ostriches and two elephants and now you have five. And so it's a visualization of a quantity instead of an external symbol. So the mm. two hemispheres do learn very differently. And some of us are very skewed to the values of the left brain or the values of the right brain. And the value structure of each of those hemispheres is completely different. So that the left hemisphere cares about what is my ranking? What is my hierarchy in the external world? How much money do I make? How much of material things do I have? How big is my house? How many big toys do I have? And it's about me, the individual, because again, that ego center is in that left hemisphere. Well, the right mm -hmm. brain doesn't have an ego center. So the right hemisphere cares more about, well, the we, how are we doing as humanity? How do I bring my best forward by being of service to those around me? Because it's important to me to be a valuable piece of a bigger picture puzzle. So the two hemispheres are very different in that. And those tests can be fun and they're interesting mm -hmm. and most of them are valid, but it's really important to recognize that both hemispheres are constantly in communication with one another. But I may have a tendency, if you give me a problem or a puzzle or say, you know, go spend an hour doing something you want to do, an accountant might actually go and enjoy processing numbers which they do. A tax person, they love those puzzles of all those taxes and all those different ideas and how they fit together. And a right brainer's going, mm, can I like go like, mm, go for a walk in the woods or go do some stained glass or do something creative because mm -hmm. it's a different kind of value. Okay, that's really fascinating. And I see that with different clients where when we're working through, whether it's guided visualizations or relaxation and letting go of challenging emotions and things, 
Some might be very, let's say, coping statements based and language based, where others might be more visualization based and like visual representations of letting go of a negative thought or worry. These exactly. types of things can play to each exactly. person. And that's all about the wiring. Because, you know, ultimately the brain's the brain and I'm a person. But when it really boils down to it, I'm a collection of cells. And my brain is this magnificent collection of beautiful neurons. And they're just like little living entities in there having this spaz attack of communication with one another. So the circuits that get run the most, they get stronger and then they begin to run on automatic as our habitual thinking. So we can train our left brain to be more habitual in its thinking, or we can train our right brain to be more habitual. But just being aware that my anger, if I feel anger, then I'm actually running a collection of cells inside of my brain. And from the beginning of the moment, I think about something that is going to stimulate my emotion of anger, then I have a physiological response where my brain dumps noradrenaline into my bloodstream. It floods through me and flushes out of me in less than 90 seconds. So any automatic response I have when any emotion from the beginning of the event to the complete flush out of my blood is less than 90 seconds. And I think that that's important for everybody, but I can imagine if I'm managing children and I'm just like reach my level of stress and it's like I'm ready to blow, no takes 90 seconds from the beginning to the end of that feeling. You don't have to let it out. You don't have to holler. You don't have to, you don't have to go out on the, the, uh, the fight or the flight, or you can actually just look at your watch and know in 90 seconds, I'm going to feel incredible relief. Now, of course we can stay angry or, or sad or whatever we're feeling for longer than 90 seconds. But that's because we're rethinking the thought that is re-stimulating that circuit. Okay, here we go. This is the stuff that I nerd out over. This is what gets me really excited because we've been talking about, I teach a lot about mommy rage, postpartum rage, managing anger in the heat of the moment when our toddler has just flopped around on the floor for five minutes or whatever the case may be, right? And and that every parent can pull on just this like excruciating moment that still causes them to like grit their teeth, right? And this came up in another interview with a reproductive psychiatrist that I had on. And she had said that that spike in the brain, like you said, like that actual physical feeling of the emotion like comes and goes. And what I'm hearing is in the matter of about 90 seconds comes and goes. It comes, it floods, and it flushes away. So then the thing that keeps that feeling alive in our body is the story we tell ourselves after and the interpretation of that event. Exactly. Exactly. So consider that exact example. So here you have a child who is flopping around. This is not what you want. This is not a behavior you're in the mood for. You've got a million things. You're in a sense of urgency. And all of a sudden, you're not getting your needs met, right? And so you Mm -hmm. move into this, this big energy. I love that you said, what do you do? You clench your jaw, right? You clench your jaw. Your shoulders go up. Your chest gets smaller. Your breaths get more shallow. You you feel this just incredible surge of, I want to rage in this moment. 
And, and so feel it, feel the energy. It is an energy ball. It's like all the energy in the brain and all those beautiful cells, billions of cells gets flushed into a one little tight ball in the left emotional group of cells of our brain. And all of a sudden it's like alarm, alarm, alert, alert. And I want to rage. I want to get big. I want to get loud. Let it flood through for 90 seconds. And as it starts to re-go, observe yourself experiencing that as opposed to engaging in the output of the expression. So observe yourself feeling all of a sudden now flush. Oh, my energy is all in one part of my brain, but I have other parts of my brain. So now I have to figure out how do I expand that back out again? And one of the things that will immediately pull some of the energy into the right brain, because now it's all boom in that little concentrated area, is to just observe with curiosity my kid flopping around on the floor. And mm -hmm. notice my kid is so good at flopping around on the floor. <laughs> this is, a, a, this is, they're amazing, you know, and you just want to He would make on. a really great fish, wouldn't he? He'd make a fantastic <laughs> fish, you know, and he's adorable and he's capable of that. And then you kind of look at him and you think, well, you know, how much control does he actually have about his flopping? What is his brain doing as he's flopping? And is he looking at me like he's doing this on purpose? Because that's all we are. We are living creatures who poke and are poked, right? We stimulate others and we are stimulated by others. So now we have this innocent little child flopping around on the floor. It's probably pretty cute. It's probably a really big mess. And the left brain wants to come in and fix and clean everything up. The two just wants to rage about it. The emotion of the right brain is curious and finds it funny. And you know, what would happen in that moment if I actually got down on the floor with my child and flopped around with them? <laughs> what dynamic would that change in my relationship with my child. So we have all these other options and really, you know, life is what life is. And we do, we have choices and um, whole brain living is the ultimate goal of what we're doing here. And it's like the better we know what's actually going on in our brain, then we know what our choices are and how we might respond differently, especially after that 90 seconds. And I find it incredibly empowering to know physiologically what is going on because then we know better how to ride out that 90 seconds exactly. how to breathe it through it also reminds me of because this is a like a parenting community as well the whole brain child perspective from dr daniel siegel's work i don't know if you're familiar with him as well this whole idea of like a part of our brain goes online and this mindfulness or curiosity and observation to keep that part online so that we aren't getting caught up in that story again as well, to know how our brain works, to have this science now, and to know how to engage our curiosity or our mindfulness in a way that can rewire that circuitry as you were saying, right? So as we practice this, okay, let's say I am a mom who really gets caught in that rage, gets swept up in it. And as it surges again, I get swept up in it, right? Uh, and that circuitry and, and all of that has been just very well worn in, right? Yes. Same process 
in going through breaking it is to work hard at that curiosity and try to do that more often to like kind of wear in that circuitry, would you say? I would say the the first thing is to become aware of when I am feeling triggered. That's number one. Mm -hmm. We know just like that. It's like all of a sudden I'm on alarm because I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe because I'm not getting my needs met in the immediate moment and I'm just I'm just in, you know, rage. And so if my output is going to be rage, first of all, learning to pay attention to when you go into rage. Well, first you have to want to do rage less, right? So you have to be willing. Right. There has to be a desire. You have to have the desire and the willingness. The second step is to become aware when I am. And then the third is to observe it when it happens. I feel triggered. I've got chaos going on around me. I'm desperate for some order. And I move to that level and I want, I, I, it's, I've reached my threshold and I'm ready to blow. So it's okay, what does that feel like in my body? All of a sudden, pause, push the pause button. If you really want to catch this, push the pause button and be aware of that. And then uh, when it hits and then be aware of what it feels like in your body, literally look at the clock on your phone, look at your watch if you have one on and look at it for 90 seconds and say, okay, in 90 seconds, how am I going to feel about this? And just wait it out. Don't let it blow. Mm. No, there's a, a ball of energy inside of your brain and you're having a physiological response. And if you observe yourself instead of engage in that rage and you actually observe this cycle, this is neurons running in a loop saying, I don't feel safe. So I'm going to move into my rage and I get big and I get loud. And, and my, again, the jaw clamps, the chest gets tight, the breath gets shallow. I, my arms start flailing because it's like, I've got to go safe. How do I protect myself, just watch yourself for 90 mm-hmm. seconds. And you'll see it's not even 90 seconds. It's really more like 84 seconds. And it'll flush through you and flush out of you. And then it was like, wow. Then you're looking at yourself and you're going, wow, I have incredible power, more power than I've ever been taught that I can still have that circuit triggered. Or even before that, then I start realizing I'm about ready to blow. So instead of like running through that 90 seconds again, I'm just going to shift around and I'm going to choose to look at this from a different perspective by actually using a different part of my brain. And Mm -hmm. when we know the different parts of our brain and what I call the four characters, then I know that, okay, my character two has moved into rage and I'm, I'm there, I'm triggered, I'm unhappy, but I've still got a character one. I got a character two and a character three, and I know who they are and what they do. And I'm going to choose when I come out of this to be one of those other characters. And we all have that power. I would love to hear more about these four characters. This sounds fascinating. When you think about a human brain, it looks kind of like that. And then you open it up this way. And then the left hemisphere has thinking tissue. It has emotional limbic tissue. The right brain has emotional limbic tissue and thinking tissue. So we have thinking, emotion, emotion, thinking, if you open up that way. So I call this character one, left thinking. Our left thinking tissue is our rational mind. It has our language. It has my ego. It defines the boundaries of where I begin and end. It interacts with the external world. Uh, It likes to control 
people, places, and things. It thinks hierarchically, so it knows where I stand on every hierarchy in life. It organizes, it categorizes, it's detailed-based, it's our A-type personality, if you will. It's the one that gets all everything done. And its goal in life is to control and organize everything in the external world, and it's really good at fixing things that break because it's really good with those details. Mm -hmm. Character one. I call mine Helen for hell on wheels. She gets it done. She's busy. (laughs) I I love it. I encourage everyone, name your character one, whatever works for you. And I see this a lot in the postpartum period with moms. I feel like especially new moms, first-time moms, but even subsequent children, there's something in us that goes into this brain number one in the postpartum period. It's almost like an overdrive of this you know, alertness, awareness, planning, protect, like we get stuck in this place. I'm now responsible for this life that has no ability to take care of itself. So I've got to move into overdrive and and it can be overwhelming. Exactly. It's like we get stuck in it. We get stuck there almost sometimes. And Mm -hmm. that's our stress circuitry. That's our stress circuitry. So if we just run it, run it, run it, and we don't give it any relief by shifting over into our right brain where we can relax, this is the push, push, push left brain. And the right brain is the breath and the pause. We have to have both. We inhale and we exhale. And the inhale, 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 got to do, got to do, got to be, accelerate, accelerate. Everything goes fast, a million different things to do. And then you add another child and now it's like, oh my gosh, multiply that by like, you know, 18. (laughs) Right? And then you throw in a third and it's like, oh my gosh, chaos is on the way. So that's the thinking left brain, character one. The emotion of the left brain is the part of me that gets overwhelmed about anything that has happened in the past or any fear about the future. So it's all based on the emotion of time. So if I'm worrying that I'm not doing a good job or I can't keep up or I haven't done well or I'm having anxiety that I'm not performing right or I'm not good enough or or I, I'm, I'm out of control, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, that's my character two. And that character two is just basically fundamentally all about how do I feel about what's going on in the external world? Do I feel safe in what's going on or do I feel threatened or do I feel incompetent or do I feel worthy or do I whatever? All of those emotions of the left brain. So I call my little character to Abby, which is short for abandoned, because when, as soon as I was born, I mean, just think about this. As we're mm. infants inside of this magnificent womb, it's warm in there. We're having a symbiotic long-term relationship with the fluid around us. We're hearing this beautiful heartbeat. All the sounds and all the lights and everything are muted because we're not out in the real world. And then as soon as we're born, boom, why do we scream when we're born? Because <laughs> first of all, now we're no longer in liquid. We're in air and we're bombarded with sounds and and lights and people are poking and prodding us and there's temperature to deal with and there's all this chaos of stimulation. So to me, I I call mine Abby because in that instant, I was separated 
from that symbiotic relationship that I had had before. And so a little character too is just trying to figure out how do I feel about the external world and give me any reason at all to push away and say no to something. And that's what I'm going to do. Hmm. Character three is the emotional system of the right hemisphere. And it's just present. It's just right here, right now. It doesn't know anything about a past or nothing about a future. All it knows is what's happening in the present moment. And, and it's just, you know, bombarded again with sensitivities. But the right hemisphere emotion, little character three is curious. It's curious and it's interested and it's innovative and it's creative because there's no left brain judgment saying, well, that's right. That's wrong. That's good. That's bad. And that's where children are. They don't come in with a developed left brain saying right, wrong, good, bad. We have to teach them their left brain how to define that. So mm. our little character three, and it wants to be connected. It's desperate to be in connection with others. So it wants to play. It wants to connect. It wants to, to experience. And then our character four is the thinking tissue of that right brain. And that is the consciousness that is inside every cell of our body. And it is the portion of our brain that allows us to experience that we are a part of everything and everything is a part of us. And we are the consciousness of the universe. So call that consciousness, the infinite being, call that God, call that any, whatever works for your, your belief system. That's how we connect. We pray in the present moment, we connect to something greater than we are. We love in the present moment, and there's no boundaries to an unconditional love. So those are the four different characters. So that if I move into stress and I move into that little character too, I know my character one can come online and look around and say, are we safe here? You know, I'm not getting my needs met, but am I safe? Is my child flopping around on the floor safe? Yeah, everybody's safe, right? Mm -hmm. We're safe. So character one and character two, they can run through their 90 seconds. And then the little character three can come on and say, I got the cutest little kid you ever saw in my life. And look at him flopping around. I mean, it's like, well, you know, that actually looks kind of like fun. And, you know, the more they do that, <laughs> it's actually pretty good for their body to flail around like that. Because look at them. Just look at them. They're, they're getting information into their brains. Mm -hmm. And then the character four just comes online and says, I am so lucky to be alive. And I am so blessed to have this little fish flopping around on the floor, entertaining me being loved to me that I can love and all is well. So we have these different parts of ourselves and we do have the power to choose moment by moment, instant by instant, which of those four characters are we in? We can look, we can observe ourselves and identify which character am I in now? Am I good with that? Or would I rather be in a different part of myself? One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. 
ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. It is so fascinating to me. And I think that the majority of the work that I do is with people really stuck in that like second brain, right? Like really stuck in let's say I'm in a parenting situation and my kid does something and then it makes me think about how I was parented in the past because of that thing and I would have been treated this way and then all of a sudden I'm like swept up in this really negative experience from my own childhood and there is an element that like we get stuck in these places at times, I feel like. So when we find that we are either maybe stuck in the overdrive in the new postpartum period in that brain one, really hyper-focused and attentive, like, attentive to detail, or we're stuck in that, you know, brain two where maybe we're, we're really ruminating on worries or on the past. 
again, does it come back to this awareness and like shifting into curiosity piece that helps to pull us out of that? That and sleep. Mm. Oh, this is a good, yeah. Sleep. Sleep is critical for the brain. And of course, mm. you know, synonymous with newborn is lack of sleep for the adults. Right. Sleep is the time at which the brain, picture picture the brain, 800 billion neurons, those are the, the neural conducting cells, and then multiply that by 10, and that's all the little glial cells that pack around those neurons, and they have a lot of different functions to protect the neurons, to isolate them, to create an environment that the neurons can actually communicate electrically with one another. So we have, you know, trillions of cells inside of our head. What do they do? They eat and they create waste. They're little little creatures just like this, but they're tiny. So they eat and they create waste. And when we go to sleep, oh my gosh, the garbage cleaners come in and they clean out all that waste. So that's why we feel refreshed and bright in the mornings when we're allowed to wake up on our own natural cycle. But if we're hmm. awakened because there's someone out here who needs us, then we, we, we don't finish cooking, if you will. There's a lot of things going on inside of the brain during the sleep cycles. So sleep is critical for us to actually be able to flush everything out. If you're feeling foggy in your brain, well, why are you feeling foggy? It's because there's still a lot of waste in there. The other thing is that during sleep, these enormous cycles, we go through this sleep cycle, which takes us into light sleep and then deeper sleep, and then boom, we go into REM sleep. And REM sleep, R-E-M, is when our eyes are, are darting back and forth because we're actually dreaming and we're watching the, the activity in the dreams. And we have to hit REM sleep, and then we come back up, and then we go into a lighter sleep, and we might wake up then, or we dip right back down into a deeper sleep and more REM. Uh, studies have shown that if we don't have enough REM sleep, we actually become psychotic. And at the level of the brain, what that means is that we have chaos inside of our brain and cannot create order or understanding about all the details coming in because the machine's on overload. So we are a biological machine and we have to get sleep. So if mm. we're not getting sleep, then our threshold, normally if we get sleep, we have a pretty high threshold and tolerance for, you know, lack of cooperation in those around us, right? <laughs> That's right. Do you know? Exactly. So we mm -hmm. feel patient and we feel calm and we feel joyful. And it's like, oh, aren't you cute flopping around like a fish? But <laughs> if we're sleep deprived, that threshold goes way down. So it only takes a little bit of stimulus now to hit my threshold and move me into my, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. I'm not getting my needs met. Now I move back into rage. So sleep is critically important. Is there anything besides sleep that can help us get rid of that waste? We're moms and we don't sleep, LOL. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm very sympathetic. Um, paying very close attention to the amount of screen time. Screen time messes up with your circadian rhythm. And you already have a child who's messing with your circadian rhythm. So schedule your screen time or decrease it, certainly, you know, three hours before you actually want to go to sleep if you think you might get some sleep. Sugar, sugar is, is violent. 
on the body in a lot of different mm. ways. The molecule itself is like razor blade sharp, which is why when it goes through your blood vessels, it actually cuts the walls of the capillary, which is why you have inflammation. And when you have inflammation, you know, the whole nervous system and lymphatic system goes crazy, uh, as well as your immune system. So really paying attention to caffeine, any kind of caffeine at all, and self-nurturing, allowing yourself to actually quiet your own left brain so that you can actually relax when you have time to relax relax. Don't watch TV, get off the computer. It's a negative stimulation. So what do I want you to do? I want you to get physical activity, planned physical activity, get your body moving, get the blood going, do something that you enjoy, listen to music that you love and that calms you. Um, there, there are just so many positive things that you can do to actually self-soothe yourself in between when you think you have a few minutes. That's really fascinating. So sugar is like can contribute to that brain fog or that like lack of moving of the waste in the brain. And screen time, does it have an actual impact on the waste or it impacts our, the quality of our sleep or what's the connection there? It's going to impact the quality of the sleep so that if you're, if, if sleep is when you're actually going to have the, the, the garbage essentially cleaned out, cleansed, if you're going to have the flush of the, the flush of your brain, then screen time, no, anything stressful, is going to add more cortisol into the system. It's going to increase the acceleration and activity of those cells. They're going to be working harder. They're going to be creating more waste. So, so really just, just how do I get into my right brain? The right brain slows everything down. How do I get into my own calm? How do I get into my own gratitude? How do I get into my own joyfulness? How do I get, how do I make doing the dishes fun? How do I make cleaning up the house? fun. How do you know, put on music that you like dance as you do it. it. There are just so many things that you can do that increase the health of the brain as opposed to the stress and distress of the brain. And then the other thing that is really important is what are you feeding yourself? Because mm. I'm still a biological creature. And if I'm a mom or I'm a dad and I've got kids, I'm a biological creature that needs to have the push of that left brain that organizes and takes control of everything. But I have to have that pause. I have to have my joy. I have to have that gratitude. Sometimes the easiest thing I think, Erica, is recognize regardless of how messy my house is or how delinquent my children I perceive them to be, I am <laughs> grateful that I'm alive and I'm grateful yeah. that I have them. And we may not be like the perfect left brain character one family where everything is always neat and clean and everybody looks right all the time and, and everything's proper, right? We might not mm. be that family, but boy, what a family I've got. And celebrating that, remember the gratitude, which immediately shifts you into that character for connection to the bigger picture love, which mm-hmm. is always in our hearts. So feel it. It's always there. It's always available. Shift into your gratitude. In this moment, I'd like to kill you, but I'm still grateful that you're in my life. <laughs> Well, and this is so I can so distinctly as you're describing them, see the categories and see how that gratitude and that meaning making and that love and connection and presence and attunement 
I don't know if attunement would also live in that category four, but that connectedness to people outside of ourselves. And I'm sure there are also probably left brain pieces on picking up of some of the needs of others. And like there is some other pieces there, but I can so clearly see as you're describing and when you're talking about this whole brain living and and we'll have you really like define what that is for us, but I can see how understanding each of these four sections Almost having like a character, like you said, a name for them and being able to put them on in the moments that we need them is extremely empowering. It's totally empowering. All of a sudden, I feel like my little character too, and I'm not happy. And it's like, um, okay, here's a good example. We have the choice. We do have the choice to choose that. Now, I'm also going to say that that little character too is delicious right? And then when it comes over me, it takes me over. And it's like all the energy in my brain is there. And it's like, it's like, okay, I really got to want to get out of it to get out of it because it's just running, right? And the two emotional systems of our character two and our character three and our left and right brains, they never mature. They never mature. So Hmm. the thinking tissue comes online and it is mature. So it has the ability to say to me, okay, you know, I've hit my threshold. I'm feeling myself, self, I'm going. It's like, mm. and then my character one can come online and say, take yourself out of the situation. Do something. Take, take your 90 seconds. Go to the corner. Take 10, count to 10. Come up with a coping mechanism. Breathe through that and purposely go do something that is a one task, a character one task. Okay, right now, I really, I just want to scream bloody murder and rage at you. So instead of that, I'm going to go organize the uh, toy box, or I'm going to go pick up something, or I'm going to go do this instead. I'm going to breathe through it. And then I'm going to shift into my little character three, and I'm going to come back a much more happy and curious and available person. And Mm -hmm. we have the power to do that. And that's really why I wrote this book, Whole Brain Living. Mm -hmm. The anatomy of choice. The anatomy of choice. And the four characters. The four characters that drive our life. So we get to know really well, who are my four? And then there are going to be those moments where it's like, it's what I call a brain huddle. And, and there's, and, and I, so there are moments when I need my brain to get in a huddle, right? I need all four characters to come online and say, I need to oh, fire on all those cylinders at the, I need them all. I need them I need all. the backup. We're going to yeah. make a decision and it's going to be a democracy inside of my brain. And we're going to, you know, it reminds me of, have you seen the movie inside out and they I have the control it. panel? I love it, it's it. like that, but it's like the anatomy version versus just the exactly. like emotion version. That's right? exactly right. That's exactly yes. right. They almost got it. They got a lot great. Um, yeah. But from but, an internal, from an anatomical perspective, we can all yeah. come online and little character two is saying, I'm not happy. I want to yell. And character one says, are we all safe? Are we safe? Are we physically safe? Do I need to fix anything? Okay, we're all safe. Character four comes online and says, little character two, I got you. We're all here. We're your backfield. We're all available. We're all here. You don't have to do what you don't want to do and what we'd rather you didn't do, which is go rage some more. And then little character three comes online and says, let's go do something fun. Let's go do something fun. Whatever I find fun, (laughs) give yourself tools so that you know what your character one is going to show up to do. How is your character four and what does it take to swoop in and be coddling? So if you have a child and your child is, is raging, what do you do? 
well, your character two is going to go rage with your two, right? You mm. get those fights, like ugly, right? And so right. Like, two character twos in rage will never find resolution. And we're the parent, right? So we right. need to be willing to say, my child is raging. I can go to my character one. Is everything physically okay? Yes, we are. Or if there's a boo-boo, okay, we've got to get the stuff we need in order to fix the boo-boo. Character four comes in and says, I got you. I love you. I'm with you. Tell me. Mm. Tell me. Tell me your like, pain. I'm holding you. There's space for you here. Like, I'm with you in this. Exactly. exactly. And then mm. the little three comes in and says, do you need a hug? You know, I'll mm. hug you. I'll be with you. I'm mm. with you. I love you. And then, you know, eventually, you know, I start feeling like, okay, well, they got me. I, I'm okay, right? I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, okay, and the little character three can take, you know, little character two and go do something fun. Don't you love that moment? Here's a perfect example. Your child falls down. They look up. They ask themselves, do I scream? Are they paying attention? Or mm -hmm. do I just get up and go have some more fun? right? It's that conniving little brain. It's mm. beautiful. We want all parts of ourselves online and developed, but figuring out that we actually have the power to choose which of those characters we bring forward in the next moment, that's the art form. Well, and when you're talking about, and I'm taking this now even a step out to a parenting perspective, where we are actively the left brain for our children in a way, right? If they're underdeveloped and we're we're Until attributing they're meaning. 25. Until they're 25. That's, Until that's... they're 25. <laughs> so they're looking up to say, am I safe? Do I need to freak out? Like, you know, and so, so much of, I talk about on the podcast, how like our kids feel their feelings 100%. Like they really have a hard time applying these other levels of reason or layers. There's none of that. Yeah, there's none of that. So- when they're bored anatomically, those emotional systems, they're ready, right? They're ready yeah. to scream and they're ready to explore and learn. But the thinking tissue is not yet connected. So that's what development is. It's the process of learning and having the thinking brain come online. And that's why I said until 25, because the teenage brain is its own. That's a whole nother story, right? And <laughs> that's a whole other episode. That's a whole, a whole other. other. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. And, and it, it's, you know, my motto is keep them alive to 25. That's hilarious. Keep your kids alive until they're 25. And to kids, I say, keep your brain cells alive till you're 25. If you want to party hardy, do it after you're 25. First of all, you're going to make better decisions because you're going to have your adult brain online by then. But yeah. Parts of the brain, the free prefrontal cortices don't even really line up and get on board until completely until you're 25, 26. So it's so interesting. And this is what I find for a lot of our parenting journey is we weren't taught these skills. We didn't have this science when our parents were parenting, right? So we're learning to lean into our, you know, brain three, brain four, brain one in situations kind of shift out of our brain to as we're also trying to teach our children. And so it is a lot 
of work for parents. It's a task to rewire and to do these things differently, but it is so beautiful. And there's, like you said, so much gratitude and meaning in that to be able to heal and do those things for ourselves, empower ourselves in that way so that we can empower our children. It's a really beautiful thing to give ourselves and to also give them. Right. And they're watching us. I mean, because their thinking brains are not completely developed, they are following our emotional patterns. They learn from our modeling. And so just recognizing that each of us has a brain with four characters, that means every child you have has all four of these characters also. So there will be times when your character one can come on and train their character one. And your Mm -hmm. character three can take them by the hand and go play with their character three. And if we want to teach a child anything about gratitude and grace and being a part of something that is bigger than we are, they have a natural tendency toward that because they're freshly born, right? They don't Mm. have that character one and two stress circuitry pulling their consciousness away from being connected to everything. As far as they are concerned, they are everything, until Mm. the cells in their left brain comes online and they define themselves as a single solid. So just understanding what is going on in the natural development of our children and what are they capable of, it is not fair to look at a three or four-year-old and expect them to have the neurological organization of a 10 or 11-year-old or of a Mm -hmm. 20-year-old. And Mm -hmm. it's not fair to look at a 16-year-old when you hand them your keys and expect them to act like an adult because they're not an adult. So Mm -hmm. you go at them and they do something that you would consider like wrong or bad or stupid. And you say, well, that wasn't a good choice. You know, why did you do that? You know, what were you thinking? And they're saying, well, clearly I wasn't thinking. (laughs) And I wasn't clinging because I'm not wired up to think like you yet. So Mm -hmm. understanding development and where we are and what we're actually capable of is really important. Who knew neuroanatomy and a discussion about the brain could be so fun and entertaining. I so appreciate you. I appreciate the way that you can take the complexities of what you do and boil it down in a way that is so relatable and so helpful and understandable. Where can people find your book and learn more of how to live this whole brain life? Where can they find it? And when is it dropping? Go to Mm -hmm. amazon.com and uh, put in uh, whole brain living and Jill Taylor or Jill Bolte Taylor. And, you know, it launches on on May 11. So it'll be out there in the world. And I have to say that having been down the road I've been on based on my scholastic and academics and then my personal experience with stroke, this book is the reason why I recovered. Mm. The gift I give to the world first blew my brain and now this one's going to blow yours. And it's just going to give you tools that you never imagined you could have to create the life you want to live. It's a beautiful, beautiful, I have to say it's a beautiful book. Yeah, it is like a gift. And in your in your TED Talk, you talked about that, like how your understanding from your experience and the perspective that you had motivated you to recover so that you could empower others with this knowledge. And you do that and you do it in such a relatable way. And I appreciate you for that. So thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Erica. And just everybody, just remember 90 seconds. (laughs)
<laughs> I'm gonna be setting my watch every single time. Exactly. Just breathe for 90 seconds. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Thank so you much. so much. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.